a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. There are a lot of people, a lot of victims, a lot of families that have been, that have suffered. And I wanted to see if we could figure out ways that we could do better. Right now on KSL Plus. Domestic violence situations are not easy. Domestic violence situations can be some of the most difficult for police to respond to. We need every tool we can get. And can lead to the most heartbreaking loss for family. Beautiful girl, beautiful smile. She was only 35 years old when she was murdered. Bill has widespread support, including from one family who hopes it will help prevent tragedies. I'm Matt Rascone, and this week, how one family's recent loss has taken them to the state capitol on a mission to help support legislation that could help prevent similar tragedies from happening across the state. I just don't think she understood what she was getting into. It's been five months since Kent and Shauna Maine lost their daughter Mandy to domestic violence. We did have a, a tragedy that happened in our family back in August, and uh, the result of that tragedy has been um, very difficult for us, but it's also been very eye-opening. And it's helped us to, to determine what kind of holes there are in, in our system when it comes to domestic violence. This week, the parents and their niece, Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson, shared Mandy's story in front of members of the Senate Judiciary, Law Enforcement, and Criminal Justice Standing Committee. And those deficits affected her socially very much. She had a hard time fitting into social situations. Uh, often didn't pick up on social cues that many of us more naturally pick up on. And also danger signs that uh, most of us would readily recognize she had recognizing or sometimes feeling the magnitude and the, the uh, danger that a, a person might uh, hold for her. In her late 20s, Mandy met Taylor Martin, and against her parents' wishes, they married. And, uh, she didn't pick up on some of the warning signs that we picked up on readily, uh, the warning signs of his mental illness and his violent tendencies. Ken says it didn't take long after their marriage for Mandy to realize the danger she was in, she filed for divorce. The family says harassment and stalking followed. But then, as he went on probation, he, he kind of disappeared. We didn't hear anything from him for a couple of years. And um, we had relaxed and thought maybe he had, were hoping that he had decided to go on his way and live his own life and leave Mandy alone. Unfortunately, after he got off probation this uh, a year ago, just this past January, one year ago, uh, he, uh, some stalking and harassment and threats started up again. In August last year, Martin showed up at Mandy's workplace. Her boyfriend was there. There was some sort of confrontation. Co-workers got involved to separate them. Salt Lake City police officers responded. And when the police interviewed Mandy, she told them that she was afraid of Taylor and wanted some help. Uh, the police gave, gave Taylor a trespass, made him leave the premises. 
Uh, on his way out, as they were waiting for his Uber ride, he told the police officer that it was a good thing that they didn't try to arrest him because they would have had to kill him if they had. Um, and he also told them that if he saw Mandy and her boyfriend again, that he would attack them again. He was allowed to leave that day. Despite being a convicted felon, Kent says Martin managed to get his hands on a gun and some ammunition. Uh, he made phone threats towards the place of business. Martin knew where Mandy caught the bus for work in Taylorsville, and two days after he showed up at her work, he went to that bus stop. When Mandy arrived at the bus stop at 5 o'clock in the morning, he snuck up behind her and shot her 11 times. And then he stood over her as she lay on the sidewalk and shot her again. It's unfortunately a lot more common than anyone knows. One in three Utah women will experience some form of domestic violence in her lifetime. That's more than the national average. And according to the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, more than 40% of adult homicides in Utah since 2000 involve domestic violence. Mandy Main is one of many Utah women killed by an ex after multiple interactions with police. They include college student Lauren McCluskey in 2018 and Memory Rackley in Sandy in 2017. All of them have one thing in common. The officers who spoke with them shortly before their deaths didn't ask a series of 11 questions, what's known as a lethality assessment program. It's difficult to know what could have prevented this type of tragedy, but the main family believes if the officers had conducted a lethality assessment with Mandy, that could have made a difference. Could have saved Mandy's life, I believe, and um, I think it will save lives in the future. The Lethality Assessment Program, or LAP, is an 11-question survey to help officers assess a person's risk of being killed in a domestic violence situation. They may not be able to express it if they are not asked those questions. Longtime victim advocate Carmen Contreras says it can't guarantee someone's safety, but it can help them recognize the risk. I have seen this uh, in their eyes that, oh yeah, that's happening to me. Enough yes answers to these questions and police call a hotline for a nearby shelter to offer victims a place to stay or to help craft an escape plan, among other resources. Uh, We had just finished our Maryland lethality training. Um, We asked the female party involved these 11 questions. Immediately, she was obviously high risk. Uh, Ultimately, we were able to put her in touch with services, remove her and her three children from the home, Uh, The husband subsequently attempted to visit the home uh, and, in his words, have one last meeting with his family. Um, Of course, the family was not home. He ultimately took his own life. We believe our very first uh, lethality screening saved four lives, and we were sold on the program. Police departments have been using LAP in Utah since 2016, but it's not required. And Senator Todd Weiler says only about half of agencies in the state regularly use it when responding to domestic calls. And so I was able to immediately screen her in, um, call the victim advocate for the city of Provo, and she was able to make a safety plan and get to a better situation. So um, the lap form is powerful, it's effective, it's a a proven tool, and this is going to be a really uh, great thing for victims across the state. Salt Lake City Police, for example, do not use it. They told me they intend to implement LAP, but they've been involved in a years-long discussion about what they called serious concerns for victims and survivors as to whether enough shelter space existed and how shelter could be guaranteed when needed. 
one of the most shocking things for me is to discover which police agencies use lethality assessments and which do not. And I, I think that uh, law enforcement throughout the state are hearing loud and clear that it's time to start using them and there's no more excuses. This session, Senator Weiler has sponsored Senate Bill 117, Domestic Violence Amendments. In the language of the bill, it requires a law enforcement officer to conduct a lethality assessment when responding to a report of domestic violence between intimate partners. So this bill targets the intimate partner domestic violence. So this would be a boyfriend, girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, ex-husband, wife, th- those types of situations. Um, and of course, it could be same-sex couple as well. But we're like, I mean, when we say intimate partner, it, it means just like what it sounds. The bill would also create and maintain a database of lethality assessment data. So when an officer responds to that type of situation, they can check and see if either the victim or the perpetrator has been involved in similar uh, instances. Right now, I fear um, they assume that this is a first-time offense, and I think they give people the benefit of the doubt. If they knew this was the seventh time, they might act, or even the third time, they might act differently. They might approach uh, it differently. There are other instances we know of when the lethality assessment was not used and the situation turned deadly. And other times when the questions were used and didn't produce the expected result. Two years before police say Michael Haight murdered his family and his mother-in-law, police responded to a domestic call at their home involving the oldest daughter, Macy. Eldest daughter, Macy, telling authorities about several incidents in which her dad's anger turned physical, including a time when he grabbed her around the neck and she feared for her life. That would be immediate force making the threat. They don't even have to impede the breathing. If he grabs her, that fits the statute to a T of felony child abuse, aggravated assault. Justin Boardman is a retired Utah detective and now a law enforcement consultant. While acknowledging that we now have the benefit of hindsight, he says parts of the police report are concerning. The warning signs of a potential homicide in the future are screaming out. Enoch City told us a lethality assessment was conducted with Tasha Haight, but the results didn't show a high enough risk. According to Weiler, the bill has received widespread support. We're getting good response uh, from law enforcement. We're getting a little bit of pushback from uh, defense attorneys. They're afraid that these, that the results of this, uh, these 11 questions could be maybe misused to, to prejudice their clients in court. The bill cruised through the hearing without any opposition from legislators. The motion before us favorably recommend SB 117. All those in favor of that motion, please say aye. 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 Any opposed, please say no. This has been a taboo subject. People don't like to talk about this. But I, I hope that people who are struggling with domestic violence or intimate partner violence, that they know that the state is aware of what they're going through and that we are hoping to help solve some of the problems that are systemic. Um, we, we care about this. We are addressing it. And we're not going to be done after this session. There's a lot more to come. And Lieutenant Governor Henderson and the Maines hope that support will continue so more domestic violence victims will get the help they need when they need it. No parent aspires to come to the legislature to talk about their uh, legislation on behalf of their daughter. That usually means something bad has happened. However, it also means that hopefully something good will follow. 
And I think uh, even though Mandy had a difficult and tragic experience, I think she'd be very happy to know that perhaps because this happened to her, she might be able to, it might result in helping others to be able to avoid the same fate. SB 117 is just one of a handful of bills aimed at domestic violence prevention this legislative session. We'll be following it all on KSL TV, KSL News Radio, and KSLTV.com. If you or someone you know is dealing with domestic violence, there is help available 24 hours a day at 1 800 897 LINK or 5465. That does it for us this week on KSL Plus. I'm Matt Rascone. I'll see you again next week. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.